We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Happy Friday. We are back with another BuzzBeat episode. We apologize for going over a week without an episode. I think this season has certainly taken a toll on me, taken a toll on the crew. But this is Richie, and I will be going solo today for some general thoughts about the Hornets, Tira Rozier's comments about the DNA, and answer some listener questions from Substack. As always, if you want to know the best way to support us, Please take one minute out of your day. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That goes a long way, and that would mean a ton to us. On Spotify, there's no way to leave an actual review, but you can leave a rating there as well. And actually, on that app, there's a spot where you can leave comments and questions on each specific episode, and I periodically take a look at that. But let's jump into this, and and like I mentioned, we will start with Tara Rozier's comments and he basically commented that in Charlotte, they are used to losing and it's the DNA here in Charlotte. And I don't necessarily disagree with Rozier and what he said. It's definitely been a theme for the past five or six years. And, you know, they may have a better winning percentage than some teams like the Wizards or the Pistons over that same stretch. But they are certainly towards the bottom when it comes to win percentage. And even though I do agree with Rozier in terms of how losing can just snowball and it just becomes second nature with this team and it's almost like they're numb to it, I know that when you watch him play, you you see that like tough-mindedness player out of Rozier. But also, it should it should speak to his inability as a leader and a veteran of not getting that culture at least tilted in the right direction. Uh, since he came there to when he left with the trade, you know, the the overall DNA that he's commenting about has not really changed. And there seems to be some of that same attitude and desire with him on the roster. So he didn't do a whole lot changing in that aspect. And it's not all on him because you know, certain players have that leadership quality and certain players don't. Certain players lead by example. Certain players lead by voice or both. And just Charlotte doesn't have enough of those guys right now. Now, one player 
who I think could potentially fill that void is Brandon Miller. I, obviously, you're going to need more than just one guy to do that type of stuff with the leadership leadership aspect in the locker room, and you don't want to put too much on this this guy early in his career to carry that load. But you can definitely see the fire in the way that he plays when the team is trying to climb back into games or he has a nice stretch of play and momentum is picking up. But it's definitely going to take more than just one or two guys. And I think that's ultimately what Rozier was getting at. They they need a roster filled with four or five guys that have been there before and bring it every day in practice and are not satisfied with losing like the Hornets have been. And I think another interesting quote that stood out to me recently was one from Clifford after their loss to the Bulls on Wednesday night. Clifford basically said that he actually sees no issue with their effort and their work and that the team has little room for error because I've never seen this term before, but they are under talented. I don't think I've ever heard that word used before like that. And, you know, we've talked about this before. They, they do have little room for error. He is basically telling it like it is. He says that he needs to be honest with the guys. And I also feel like whether he was doing this or not, it almost feels like a subtle jab at the front office for not constructing a team that can be competitive. They have not found the right mix that meshes well with, you know, together with this team. And this team is just lacking in so many different areas that they have to play their A game every night for them to even give themselves a chance. If they have a B effort or C effort, you know, it's going to be a loss. And I do think the lack of effort shows up on the defensive end as well. I think that's where it's, you know, most glaring. Um, and I, I agree with Clifford. I just, there's, it's something that I've been saying for a while in terms of just the lack of talent and the fact that there is no room for error with this team. And so when you look at what Rozier said and you look at what Clifford said following that seven-point loss at home to the Bulls, that's a big reason why it feels like Mitch Kupchak is out the door after this season. He did, in some areas, improve the roster. Maybe he found a couple of guys that outperformed their draft position or their expectations, but he hasn't done a good job of making a balanced and competitive team consistently. And I remember asking him, I don't think it was last offseason, I think it was two offseasons ago, and either I didn't ask it right or he totally misunderstood me what I was trying to say. I was simply asking him if he and the others who make those decisions, should they be targeting certain skills and certain types of players in the draft and what those qualities would be? And then he took that as, uh, we are still in a position to draft BPA, you know, versus need. And that question got shot down. But I was not asking, you know, about need or best player available. I was merely asking, are there qualities within a player, regardless if it's the best player available at 14 or if you're drafting them at 32, 33? Like, are there certain skills in a certain DNA? I guess I'll use that word that that Rozier used that you should be targeting. And so, you know, back back to my point, it's about finding the right players. They lack a toughness and an edge on both ends of the court, 
and it probably shows up more defensively than the other end, but it's just obvious to see when you watch this team. And it's sad because they've got a coach who specializes on that side of the court, but it just isn't translating. Teams easily get by that first line of defense, and it often puts the team in rotations early, and often opponents drive into the paint, they kick it out for threes. It just feels like this team has no real answer on that end of the court, and this team needs players who won't put up with those constant mistakes and those constant mental lapses. The Hornets, for sure, need a ton of talent, and that will always be a priority until they can prove they can consistently compete year in and year out. But they also need players with a competitive edge, with a personality that doesn't accept mediocrity, and they need leaders in that locker room. And uh, a lot of it goes back to what Clifford said and goes back to what Rozier said. And obviously in recent years, I, I know we can all complain about the injuries and how that has played a factor for the Hornets. And it has. I, I won't deny that. But overall, this organization can't keep using that as an excuse because it covers up a bigger issue with this team and how it's constructed. And so Cupcheck can say, you know, we were destined for the playoffs, but because of the injuries, this happened and we fell off. And if we had our full team healthy, it would have been different. Sure, but also the depth. And as Clifford said, the little room for error. There is just not enough talent on this team. And there's also not enough players on this team that that really, really care about giving it their all, being tough, having that edge to them on every single possession, every single night. And I think a lot of it has to do with some of the youth on the team and, and not having been there before. And uh, obviously there's going to be some turnover this off offseason and they need a coach in there that, that stresses that and they need a GM uh, in the front office that sees that it's, it's about talent, but it's also about finding the right types of players, which is really what the question, what I was asking to him a couple of years ago. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so those were some general thoughts uh, about the Hornets right now. Let's get to two listener questions from Substack. And we have a longtime listener, Keith. There seems to be mutual interest in Bridges coming back next year. What would be a reasonable contract to bring Miles back on? 
I guess the question becomes, do we feel that the new owners will have a strong sway in the way that they want to make moves, not just for this upcoming week, because that's important, how that will set up the, the uh, off season. And do we know, you know, how they actually feel about bringing Miles Bridges back? Because I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone really knows that answer. And I would hope that Mitch would, I guess, trust their feelings about the way that they feel about Bridges. And if, and if that shapes the way that they approach February 8, which is approaching us really, really fast, you know, do, does that affect that? And I, I think under the previous front office, I, I think there was a mutual interest. But as we've alluded to uh, on a previous podcast or two, you know, the team didn't necessarily want to lose the asset. You know, regardless of how you feel about Bridges on or off the court, you can you can understand why they went this route. And the qualifying offer was the path that at least had more of a, a kind of like a prove it type feeling to it. And now they've bided themselves four to five months before they have to make another decision. They have to make a decision by the February 8 deadline. And if he's on this roster past that, I wouldn't say that they were not trying to trade him, but it does put them in another predicament come this offseason. So let's say they they don't have mutual interest. There will be some complications that I've noted on, on a couple of different platforms. So if they're trying to somehow get rid of him uh, by the trade deadline, because Bridges is playing on a one-year contract and has bird rights this offseason, by rule, by the CBA rule, he needs to consent to a trade. So even if Charlotte has this great trade lined up, all it takes is for Bridges to tell them, I'm going to enact my power and not consent to this trade because I don't want to go to the city, the organization, because of X, Y, Z. Also, if he is traded, here's another complication, the team that takes him on doesn't get his bird rights. And so that team won't be able to offer him uh, his max contract if they are already over the cap in the offseason and they won't be able to offer those 8% raises. So a lot of risk, in addition to this PR nightmare that they would be taking on too. So all that is to say, if the Hornets don't make a move, it may not be because they necessarily want to retain him in the offseason. It may also mean that the opposing teams have a lot working against them. I have a couple of trades involving Miles Bridges in my most recent piece on our BuzzBeat Plus Substack, but the one that I find the most realistic is the one that I did with the Suns. I wouldn't say it's my favorite because the Suns don't have many great assets, but it's one, an organization that I could see being more interested than most. I know that they have been calling about Bridges and that report has been out there. They are definitely a team that I could see Bridges at least giving some more thought to actually consenting with that no trade clause versus other teams out there that I, I'm very hesitant on whether or not he would want to make that move. And he said that he wants to stay in Charlotte. And I, I guess I, I really don't know what incentive he would have by saying the opposite. So I, I think he is saying all the right things. 
but it all it takes is a trade to Phoenix for that thought to go out the window. And so the proposed trade was Bridges and Thor for Nasir Little and Watanabe and a 2026 second round pick. And I originally was trying to keep it simple. Bridges for Little straight up. But that doesn't work. I, I had to add Watanabe and Thor to make salaries match. Both have one more year after this. And with Watanabe being a little bit more on the books, you know, even though he's had a, a disappointing year for the Suns, I'm really only adding him to match the salaries. And so Little and the pick would be the the one aspect of this trade that you're going to try to get yourself excited for. Little's athletic. He can get downhill. He can finish through contact really well. And he has a knack for grabbing boards, which the Hornets definitely need. So if you don't want to lose out on bridges for nothing, you will be at the mercy of the other team's assets. And so, you know, specific organizations too, like that may or may not cause him to invoke that power that he has. So they are, they're very much at a disadvantage um, in terms of the way that they can approach this deadline with Bridges. So I keep going back to the to the point, if they don't trade him, it may not be because they didn't want to, but it may be because there's some things working against them. I, I guess, you know, having said all that, I, I'm not really answering the question that Keith posed here. If the goal was to bring him back, then personally, you know, I would have to think really, really hard about it, but you would still have to structure the deal cautiously because of of the impending court date and everything that's going to come his direction and maybe bridges doesn't see it that way but from any organization's point of view you know just playing on a one-year qualifying offer has not proven anything quite yet what i think is interesting and and i'll break this down as simply as possible and i was just thinking about this as i was preparing for the episode and i'll try to put it out kind of in steps here so you guys can understand um, a type of contract that would be fair to both sides. So with Bridges having six years or less of experience, he is eligible for a contract, um, I believe up to $35 million, which we know is not happening. And if you guys know anything about the NBA contracts, uh, the maximum amount of salary that they could earn is based on their experience. And so the Hornets would have the capability if they wanted to, to go over the cap and, and give them those 8% raises and, and try to incentivize this contract in a way that does bring Bridges back if that's what they're aiming for. They do have his bird rights. Again, the team that would trade for him would not have that same luxury. I think what's interesting, and this is what I was thinking about today, is that Bridges, with that suspension, with the fact that he did not play that one year last season after this season ends he only has five years of experience so if he wasn't suspended he would have six years of experience and so the reason i say that is once you finish your seventh year of experience you are put into a new bracket of maximum salaries whether or not these players actually deserve these maximum salaries they are obviously going to be put into a different bracket to where they could receive those those specific salaries. So if the Hornets wanted to be very cautious, signing a one plus one, a two-year deal, maybe like a 
with a with a player option on there, a one plus one, that wouldn't be beneficial to Miles Bridges because that wouldn't get him to seven years of experience if he were to opt out. He'd likely want a two-year deal with an option, so basically a three-year deal. That way, he could potentially decline that option. He would have the seven years of experience, and then he would go into the market, I guess, as quick as he could after those seven years of experience, and that option would be declined, and he would test the market, if that makes any sense. So if Bridges never served that suspension, I guess we wouldn't be having this conversation anyway, but if he never served that suspension, he would be one more year along, and the Hornets could potentially offer him a two-year deal, like a one plus one. So it's even more of a risk for Charlotte keeping him because you're going to have to keep him for two or three seasons instead of a shorter, you know, one or two seasons, you know, if you're including those options on there. So it's going to be harder to give him a shorter deal, you know, whatever you consider a shorter deal. But definitely now that that one year basically did not exist for his experience wise, that throws a wrench into ways that this upcoming um, contract can be offered. Obviously, he's not in that seven plus years of experience yet, but it does throw things for a loop. So working off that, let's say we go for a a three-year deal, a two two years plus a player option. Let's say, I don't know, it's worth somewhere in the ballpark of, I don't know, 17 million, 18. I, I don't I don't know that number. I feel like that number feels fair for both parties. I think it's probably less than what Miles wants, but I think it's probably more than what I would feel comfortable giving him. I'm not sure what Miles thinks he'd be able to get on the open market and the kind of demand that he would receive and how he compares to other free agents. And, you know, if you were doing a ranking system, like where would he fall? Top top 15, top 20 free agents this offseason. And, uh, you know, there's player options that have to go into effect too. But I, I wouldn't go over that. I definitely would not go over that. But as I was thinking about this whole question today from Keith, you know, if I was on the side of bringing him back and I wanted to do it to where I could be cautious you actually are now less cautious or there's more of a risk here because of that one year that basically didn't exist in his play experience. So you're now having to give him two two years plus an option or you know three years straight, however you want to think about it. But um, to get him to that next bracket, it's going to take an extra year of experience, which he would have had by now um, had he not been suspended. So Next question from Daniel N. Who are three attainable veterans that you think the Hornets should pursue this summer slash trade deadline to help turn the losing culture around? Preferably at least one that is a rotation player and not just a locker room guy. Yeah, this is a very good question. I think it goes back to my my previous point to open up the episode. And I wish I had dove deeper into the free agent pool. And maybe as we get closer to that, you know, I'm definitely going to put out some written pieces and we'll have podcasts that go along with that. But, or, or just even like potential veterans right now that could find their way out in a, in a trade. So I may not be as prepared or able to give you three right now, Daniel, but I'll, I'll try to give you one or two. Now, the, the one issue, if you want to call it that, kind of goes directly to his point. You not only need veterans, you need veterans that are going to see regular minutes. 
a Udonis Haslam type is great and all, but he's great and all for a team that already has a very balanced roster. Like I said, that top to bottom has depth, uh, has a little bit room for error, and has a little bit room for a player to sit at the end of a bench. Um, that's great and all, but you know Charlotte can't afford to take up a roster spot with someone like that. The hard part is, is that the good veteran, the really good veterans that are playing a lot and are very impactful, they're going to cost a lot. And the ones that ride the bench obviously are cheaper, but essentially you might be taking up a roster spot just to say that you have a voice inside the locker room. So it's kind of finding that that happy medium uh, in between where you have those veterans that aren't necessarily starters, but they're players that could interchange with starters. Uh, their minutes might be available at closing lineups. That's the level that Charlotte needs right now. And uh, there's probably plenty of guys out there on the market. I think one guy that who has matured over the years and really has turned into a good teammate is Chris Dunn. He's 29 years old. He's been on teams of varying talent level. And he clearly fits, fills a position of need. Hornets are in desperate need of some point guard help in the second unit. I actually was very close to including him in that mock trade piece that I did on Substack with Bridges to Utah, uh, but decided against it because I, I think he has been very, very good for the Jazz this year and is a big part of the rotation. So I think it would take a little bit more to to kind of bring him to Charlotte. And with him being a free agent, maybe it just makes more sense for him or for the Hornets to kind of wait for the summer to make a decision on him. Anyway, he seems like a guy that would go uh, to a contender, a, a team that is is pushing for the playoffs right now. But maybe in the summer, that's a different different story. And I, I think you know everyone knows about his defense-first mentality. He's going to be your point-of-attack defender that Charlotte desperately needs. He's going to get his hands in passing lanes. He's going to snag loose balls and do all the stuff that frustrates opposing teams. But I will say that, you know, even though people think of defense when they think of Dunn, I think his playmaking and his drive and kick game have been really uh, a highlight for him too. So I I don't think we just need to think of this guy as a a defensive first guy, which he is. There are other things to his game. Just get him going downhill, off handoffs, um, out of the pick and roll, and watch that lead to open looks for his teammates. So a guy like that where he is, you know, close to 30 years old, has been around the league for a while, is not like a standout name where he's going to require starter money or even a starter role. But again, we're not looking for the Haslam type either. Uh, although there's a part of me that wants um, the Hornets to, or wanted the Hornets to look at Biombo. I'm just not sure how much he could give the Hornets uh, for the rest of the season and, and heading into next season as well. I think Mike Conley is another free agent name that I saw out there that would do wonders in this locker room, but he's going to he's gonna get more money, and I'm not even sure he'd even consider coming to Charlotte to begin with. So the team may also have to look uh, the trade route, as the question was inferring to kind of snag a veteran in that way. And that's just how it goes with Charlotte, right? Like, until they establish themselves as a year-to-year consistent playoff team, you know, players aren't going to necessarily want to line up to come to Charlotte. It's going to be based on the draft. It's going to be based off of trades. And until Charlotte hits those, 
they're going to be struggling in the free agent department as well. So I apologize for not looking too deep into the uh, free agent class into this question, but Chris Dunn is a name that I would throw out there for you, or just a player like that in terms of the mold that he could bring. He's not necessarily a guy that you think of, wow, like this guy that's a, a crazy veteran that's that's been around, you know, 10 teams and has lifted the locker room. But I, I do think he is a good teammate, a teammate first guy. And and obviously he's matured over the years. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap here, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us for another episode. I do apologize again for the fact that this episode was at least a week out from the previous one. We try to get one out once a week. We try to get one at least probably out, you know, three every two weeks. So, you know, you know, get get one and a half episodes a week. So uh, we will put out more content as the trade deadline approaches. I'm sure we'll have any kind of reactions that either occur or don't occur. Be sure to check out buzzbeat.substack.com for ad-free episodes for early access to those same episodes. This episode that you're listening to now Uh it was at least three to four hours prior to the public feed. And lastly, and, and this is free to everyone who has their email in our Substack database. Uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times on the episode, but I wrote a piece about several trades that the Hornets could make to set themselves up for the future. It included a trade with the Thunder, a trade with the Jazz, and the trade that I mentioned on this episode with the Phoenix Suns. And I also talked about Nick Richards and the the likelihood that he could get traded and debated the Lowry versus Gordon Hayward buyout versus trade situation. I will link that piece in the episode notes. But thanks to everyone for tuning in. I'm Richie. We will talk to you guys later. <laughs>